This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Just because they're poor or maybe don't have a lot of education, they do care and they actually have ideas too. Equal opportunity should mean equal outcome. Giving voices to, to a lot of people who may have had some buried sentiments and now they're being uplifted and being fueled and I think that's what's, what's uh, hurting America right now. But what if the opportunities are not equal? So we wanted to give exposure to students and let them know that it's not just doctors and, and nurses and that, that there's so many different things that you can do. The Urban Opportunity Gap, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. We like to think that a person who gets the same opportunity as another in Iowa will be able to attain the same achievements and goals. That may or may not be true in practice, but what is true is that those who do not start with equal opportunities are destined to fight an uphill battle. The executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Lyle Muller, has our story. A few years ago in late 2012, reporters at the Colorado-based nonprofit news organization Rocky Mountain PBSI News wanted to learn what kind of disparity existed for blacks and Latinos when it came to housing, education, income, and other opportunities in Colorado. While doing this work, the news group, part of a national network of news organizations that includes iowawatch.org, offered to its colleagues the data used to reach the conclusions in Colorado, which were U.S. Census data going back to 1960 for all 50 states. Iowa Watch took a look and found statistics that might explain some divide existing among white, black, and Latino Iowans because the data, after all, reveal 50 years of opportunity growth leading into this decade. That look revealed that white Iowans have made gains in high school and college graduation rates, lowered poverty levels, and increased median family income and home ownership since 1960, but that black and Latino Iowans have seen slower growth in these areas. In some cases, opportunities for black and Latino Iowans have declined. For example, three of every four white Iowans owned a home when the 2010 census was taken, up slightly from 1960. Three of every ten blacks and half of the state's Latinos owned a home in 2010. That was down from a peak in 1970 when just shy of three of every five black Iowans and a little more than three of every five Latinos in the state owned one. The bootstrap mentality is, is a tough one to tell people when they never had the opportunity or access. That's Isaiah Knox, who spent time as an associate executive director at Urban Dreams in a low-income area of North Des Moines, leading up to taking over for Urban Dreams' iconic founder and longtime executive director, Wayne Ford. What Urban Dreams wants to do is give people opportunity and access. We want to give people that good old, that hand up, right, not a handout. Get an education, we are told, and it will open doors. But census data show that while 6% of white, black, and Latino Iowans equally had college degrees in 1960, a gap formed over the next 50 years. 25% of whites held college degrees during the 2010 census, while 16% of black Iowans and 10% of Latinos held degrees. All those rates in this state that likes to be known as an education state 
are below the national averages of 31% for whites, 18% for blacks, and 13% for Latinos, the census data showed. Knox, with a Ph.D. in higher education administration from Iowa State University, a master's degree in education and bachelor's degree in public relations from Drake University, is among those 16% of black Iowans getting through college. Yet, he says plenty of good ideas and good workers can be found in a neighborhood like the poor one in North Des Moines where he works. Yeah, so I live in the community as well, where we are, um, and I'm probably one of the people that skew the median household income to the higher end in the community, obviously, um, my wife and I and our three kids. But I walk around this community all the time, and I just see that people do care, right? Just because they're poor or maybe don't have a lot of education, they do care. And they actually have ideas, too. They have really good ideas that, that people need to listen to. Hillary Fry was interested in listening. She led a team that brought the national news organization HuffPost to North Des Moines in early October for HuffPost's nationwide Listen to America tour. Iowa Watch was the Iowa journalism partner with HuffPost in that project. Fry was in charge of finding a spot where HuffPost could bring a bus and have reporters talk with people for six hours before a forum at Drake University later in the evening. Well, when we decided to come to Des Moines, which was such a um, natural place for us to bring the bus, given that there's so much attention on Des Moines in the election cycle and then the eyes kind of turn away, we wanted to come at an off-cycle time here. Um, I had worked with Wayne and Urban Dreams, uh, Wayne Ford, uh, on the Iowa Brown and Black Forum uh, in a previous life when I was at Fusion. And when we decided to come back here, I knew we had to call them and get some advice and get them involved in bringing people down. So it was really um, Wayne that led us here. A lot of people stopped by the HuffPost bus on a vacant paved lot at the corner of 6th Avenue and 4th Street. Barbara Ahmed of Des Moines was one of them. The 42-year-old man was concerned about tolerance. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned just with uh, thing, things that are happening. You know, you just uh, there just seems like there's a lot more hatred and tolerance um, and it's giving voices to, uh, to a lot of people who may have had some bur buried sentiments and now they're being uplifted and being fueled and I think that's what's, what's uh, hurting America right now in, in, a, lot of, in a, lot of, a lot of towns. The 2010 census showed that 43% of black Iowans live in poverty. Plenty of them live in North Des Moines. The data are getting old now, so the picture may be changing, but when compared with data from the previous 50 years, they show how things have changed over time. The poverty rate for black Iowans was 28% in the 1970 and 1980 censuses, not 43%. The Latino poverty rate in Iowa was 13% in 1960. Ten years later, it was 27%, remaining around there through the 2010 census. Low-end jobs with low wages got a lot of the blame when Iowa Watch and partner newspapers asked why in different Iowa cities for a report Iowa Watch led back in 2013. Today, John Campbell, an African-American, 61-year-old steelworkers union member from Des Moines, has his loyalty to unions. But he also offered that solutions can be possible from a variety of viewpoints. I see the solution through unions. A lot of businessmen and company owners don't. 
but I think we have a common ground in the fact that we believe this is an important great country that we need to build on the foundations of our forefathers whether it be forefathers of the pilgrims or forefathers of the slaves we now are America and we need to move forward as America. I'm Lyle Muller for the Iowa Watch Connection. As a community relations director at Broadlawns Medical Center in Des Moines, Cody Hiles has the chance to help disadvantaged young people realize that they can get a job in healthcare. So he guides them through internships, reaching out in another role as community relations director at Urban Dreams, an inner-city Des Moines human services program. Hiles spoke with Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller about how providing job opportunities can improve other opportunities for people who come from poor neighborhoods. Tell us a little bit about the internship program because you're involved with that and helping with that. Uh, my internship is with Broadlawns uh, Medical Center, uh, County Hospital and on the north side of Des Moines. Uh, my internship, I deal directly with high school students. Um, it's a two-part internship. We get customer service training. We do professionalism. They do job shadowing. Uh, they see surgeries. Um, they're in the emergency department. They're on the, the main medical floor. Um, the second part of that is they get CNA certification um, from an organization called uh, Signature Healthcare. So they come on site uh, to Broadlawns. Uh, there are located out in West Des Moines, but we wanted to make sure that we were allowing uh, this demographic to have access, and transportation would have been one of those challenges. So they agreed to come on site to Broadlawns and handle all of that there. What's the main goal of the program? The main goal of the program is to get uh, students' exposure to the healthcare field. Um, when people think healthcare, or at least uh, in a younger mind, it's doctors and nurses. And when you think about that as a career, you're thinking a lot of school. So we wanted to give exposure to students and let them know that it's not just doctors and, and nurses and there, that there's so many different things that you can do, um, being a CNA or healthcare tech, um, working in the emergency department as a tech, or um, uh, x-rays, uh, being an x-ray tech, or being in the pharmacy. Um, and we even go as far as... Um, there's a kitchen, there's accounting, there's so many different, there's every job that you can think of within the hospital. How often does some of this stick with the students? Do you see a good success rate where people want to enter that profession, or at least do they get thinking about uh, uh, going into a job? Um, I go and meet with the classes at each of the high schools here in Des Moines. Um, I would get, I get about 40 to 50 applicants, and we have a 10 to 1 student teacher ratio, so I'm only able to accept uh, 10 students. Um, so far, my success rate has been 100 um, percent, each student completing the program. And then um, I would say about 80 percent of those go on to accept a position at Broadlands. Um, if not, they're going off to nursing school, whether it be at Mercy or DMAC or, or somewhere else. Well, what happens to those kids who don't get accepted? That's a, an interesting approach because I would imagine that that's partly why you have a good success rate. But there are a lot of kids who, what, three out of four who don't get accepted. What happens with them? Uh, it breaks my heart <laughs> to tell them that. But um, I'm getting ready to start a new cohort. Uh, this will be my third one on November. So I keep them. 
in my list, and I reach back out to them to see if they're uh, still interested. So um, I'm definitely reaching back out to those students to see if they still want to be a part of it and uh, put them higher on the list of, of getting into the next group. Do you think you can have a prevention program for preventing issues and problems that happen in the neighborhood without something like this, which would be an enabling program? Um, can you elaborate a little further on what you think? Like? Well, you know, there, there's one way to approach urban problems, and that is to try to prevent them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is not prevention. This is enabling someone with a runway to think of something else. Right. And what I'm wondering is, could you have a successful program of crime prevention or uh, unwanted pregnancy prevention, whatever the problem might be, without also having something like this, which would be a runway program to an alternative in my mind, I think providing these alternatives is in its own way preventing um, those issues um, because it, it gives them uh, an outlook and that exposure to see other things and that they're, it gives them hope. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of the uh, people in this community need is, is hope. Cody Hiles of Broadlawns Medical Center in Des Moines. When we come back, we'll hear from a man with big shoes to fill as one Des Moines organization makes a leadership transition. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from AARP Iowa. Every two seconds, someone's identity gets stolen. That's why AARP launched the Fraud Watch Network to arm people of all ages with the tools they need to spot and avoid scams. Learn how to protect yourself at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. That's aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. One-time Iowa State legislator and Des Moines community activist Wayne Ford saw a need when he founded Urban Dreams on Des Moines' north side in 1985. Since that time, the inner-city program has grown to include a variety of human services in a neighborhood where poverty, crime, and drug abuse created the need Ford saw all those years ago. Problems in inner-city Des Moines are evolving, but so is Urban Dreams. Moreover, Ford is retiring. Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller sat down with his successor, 
Isaiah Knox. Isaiah, first tell us what Urban Dreams is all about. Yeah, Urban Dreams is a nonprofit that's been around since 1985, originally founded by Wayne Ford, who was also a state representative um, during his tenure as executive director at Urban Dreams. He's actually the founder since 1985 and will retire this year. I'll take over Urban Dreams as the second executive director, which is a pretty big, big shoes to fill, right? I mean, it's uh, we've been around advocating for the less advantaged, the disadvantaged, but we've also been bridging that gap to make sure that their voice is heard in places where it's often not heard, like Capitol Hill, like city council, um, like business and industry. Uh, we've been here at the corner of Sixth and Forest um, since the entire time, since 1985, so over 30 years. And urban, uh, 5013, the 50134 zip code is the poorest zip code in Iowa. What kind of needs are you trying to address? Can you give us an illustration so that people understand if they don't live in this area in northern Des Moines? Absolutely. So um, the demographics of, of northern Des Moines have changed. Over It used to be mostly black, mostly poor. We have now a lot of immigrant populations coming in. And the changes have, have, have also moved. Since when Wayne opened this doors here, it was to deal with the prostitution, the open street drug dealing, and gangs. We still have some of those issues, but we've really evolved to look at identifying public safety in different ways. We've evolved now to look at public safety as treatment with substance abuse. We're a full-service outpatient substance abuse service provider. We also do OWI classes statewide, so the diversion from jail, and you go to that weekend course. We have that in four different cities. We also have a full-time mental health counselor on staff, so we do all the crisis intervention for people with mental health needs in the community. Then we also do a ton of advocacy work. All of our advocacy work still revolves around kind of that um, that street homeless, uh, the prostitutes, the reentry, the justice reform, the public safety, but we've also moved that to look at how we can get people better employment situations. One of those ways we've worked in, so pub, let me bring it back real quick. Public safety, one way we've evolved is to get people jobs. We figure if you're not worrying about a minimum wage job or no job at all, you're less likely to break the law. I think statistics show that. So if we can get people to be less likely to break the law by getting them into a, a, a meaningful, livable wage job, we, we're on to something. So we also, we currently partner with Bra Lawns, um, the medical center, the county hospital for an internship program. We also partner with Walmart Blue Cross Blue Shield for an internship program. We just picked up Orchestrate Hospitality, which is another avenue for a nice livable wage job. And we're looking at other partners along those lines to say, hey, we have high unemployed, high skilled people in this neighborhood that often don't have access to those employment opportunities. We need to help bridge that gap. We need to say, how can we make people that from our community more comfortable to go work into th those fields? And how can we get those fields more comfortable to have people from our community to go work there? So those are kind of the things that we've evolved over time. Like I said, the substance abuse, the mental health, the in internships and employment opportunities, those training things. And then we also do one event every month at least. We're doing three events this month in October, which is a big, big, heavy lift, where we want to make sure that we're working with police community relations or even authoritarian figures and community relations. So we want to make sure city councils attending our events, the mayor, um, community business leaders, community activists that often the everyday person doesn't have access to to get to ask questions and say and figure out that they're just regular people just like us. and. They, you know, so to get that community police relationship piece is key so that we don't have issues like other cities have.
dealt with. What common misperceptions do you have to deal with? Well, we have to deal with a ton. Um, that it's not that bad is one of them, but it is really that bad. With the, the inequities that we see, that, that, that all the data shows, especially in places like Iowa and the Midwest and Des Moines, that there's real inequities in wealth and home ownership and employment opportunities and access and education. So those are the biggest things because a lot of people say, well, it's good for me. How is that possible that it can't be good for everybody? They just can't wrap their head around that, but they often don't come visit us enough. They don't come down here and see. How do you keep going, especially under the context of a generation comes and goes, but the problems don't always leave with the generations? Um, Yeah, it's cyclical, right? So we think about that generational poverty piece, and we think about um, where do we break that cycle? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah, so where do we break that cycle? So that's the thing, again, we get people exactly where they are. We're not judgmental and saying, oh, you've already, you're 45 now and you've been doing this for so long that why would we try to deal with you because you have all these bad habits or you've been doing this for too long. You should, you're old enough now, you should have learned on your own. We still take those people and we still try to help them as much as we can. But we're also trying to get into that prevention mode. We're working with the high schools, working with the junior highs, working down to elementary level to say, here are the opportunities out here in this big world that you don't even know that you haven't been exposed to yet. Let us help you to expose those so that you don't have to go down to the, the, the five things that you think there are in the world. Um, the, the service industry, um, the, hosp- the hospitality industry, which are both still very good if that's what you want to do, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you have to do, or trying to be a professional athlete or in the profession of the music. I mean, there's so many jobs in professional athletes. It's professional athletics. People don't even understand that. And you're not talking about being the athlete, but rather the marketing and things like that. Right, right. It's like when I get them into these big organizations like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, like Wellmark, or like Broadlawns, they didn't, they're like, wow, I didn't know they have their own marketing department. Like, I could go to college. For, for something I love to do, graphic design, and then go work at Wellmark? Like, yes, you can. Like, they don't even know. They think it's only insurance agents. We have very few insurance agents actually in that building. It's the same thing at Broadlands. They don't understand. That's like a whole self-sufficient community of, of things going on all the time. Isaiah Knox, the incoming director of Urban Dreams in Des Moines, speaking with Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.